Welcome to the Officer Media Group Roll Call Podcast. Officer Roll Call is meant to inform and entertain. Now, let's get into this episode. Good day. Welcome to the fourth in our six-episode series of Active Shooter Events and Response Evolution Podcast, sponsored by FirstNet. In an emergency, you need a reliable way to communicate with the extended public safety community. That's why FirstNet is here for you. It's the first and only nationwide communications platform built with and for first responders. With a dedicated platform, prioritized connection, and no throttling, you can communicate when it's most critical. Visit firstnet.com to learn more. When every second counts, first responders count on FirstNet. Now, I want to welcome uh, our news editor, Joe Vince, into this conversation. We're going to talk about pre-modern active shooter events. How are you doing today, Joe? Good to be here. I'm doing great. How about you? Hey, I'm doing pretty well since we're recording this on a Monday afternoon, and uh, both of us hate to be back to work after the weekend. And, uh, you know, th- there's th- this particular past weekend, as we look back at it, there was just an active shooter event. And it seems like it's all too common of an occurrence these days. Yeah. And again, it's as the news editor, my job is uh, week in, week out going over different law enforcement news. And yeah, it, it's been repetitive. The amount of times I've had to pull stories um, about uh, mass shootings, shootings at schools. Um, it can wear on you a little bit. Yeah. But you know what? We're going to talk this and we're, I'm sure look for our listeners uh, you know, this is first recorded October 23. I'm sure we're going to have some conversation we have in the past about the shooting up in Maine. Um, we, we, we might end up talking about Uvalde or Marjorie Stoneman Douglas. I mean, there's a lot of things we might end up discussing because you never know how it's going to flow. But we really want to start this taking a look at uh, some pre-modern events. And when I say pre-modern, I'm going to start out, Joe, reaching back to 1891. And keep in mind, this is not the first school attack event in our country's history. It's the first one I could find a decent amount of documentation about. Mm-hmm. 1891 in Newburgh, New York, at an elementary school, a uh, gentleman attacks the school with a shotgun, firing first through the windows and at kids on a playground. A hundred and what is it, 132 years ago? Um, have you have you had a chance to look back at any of that information I, and, and have any thoughts on this? I mean, I'm staggered by that. 123 years ago, we knew there were school attacks and they were done with weapons, but everybody acted like in 1999 it was a new thing. It was interesting. I, I, I went back and I, I was looking at other instances of this and, and going back even farther and Yes, there were, and I'm going to put these in, in air quotes, school shootings that happened before, but mostly those were targeted incident instances where, say, a in, in one case, a father was upset at punishment doled out to um, his son by a, a teacher. Um, it, it's those types of cases where it didn't involve a, a lot of different students. This was was fascinating. And that it was a 70-year-old man who opened fire on a group of, of school kids in the playground. Yep. Um, did, were you able to find any – I wasn't able to find anything about the motivation around this um, uh, as far as what spurred him to want to 
fire on on school kids. Uh, you know, and and I'm I'm reaching back in my memory and and old uh, research that I had done, and and I am, I hmm. let me say this is what my best guess is with my memory. It's that he had been an employee or had some kind of relationship with somebody at the school, um, and there was a disagreement. There there was the, the falling out, and he was angry. And it was in some way related to the school. So he went there and attacked the school. Obviously, that becomes attack on the children. Um, I think what bothers me about it is that, you know, the children are innocents. Like, like, look, I don't know about you. I got four kids. And I can tell you there's times as a parent, I'd like to have strangled every one of them. Now, none of us do that. We say it is half a joke. They're very frustrating. They can, you know, they can really test your nerves. But I can't imagine going someplace and hunting children and and, and attacking the most, uh, I don't know, innocence not the right word, the most fragile, the, the most accessible, the, the most emotionally traumatic when they're hurt, uh, pieces of our, our society. I don't, I, just, I don't get people who do that. I can't fathom what makes somebody do that. Yeah. I, I don't want to get too much into the, the head of, of an individual like this but i i imagine a lot of it is is lashing out is is trying it, it is trying to um have other people feel the kind of pain he, that individual is feeling inside or, or they feel has been you know some wrong that has been uh committed against them you know some type of anger or 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 pain involved in and just lashing out with it but yeah i it, it's it's it is another thing with children i mean just to just to target to target them no matter what you're angry about uh, that's rough that's uh, you know i i i don't understand that either i i i don't i don't get it um it's one I, I of think... my my phrases i hate to use it shocks the conscience yeah so listen yeah. i'm gonna I'm, we're gonna jump forward a little bit um because you said you reached back even farther than 1891 i read one uh, about a 1700 and something massacre at a school, but it was uh, pre-formation of our, our union and it was a, a Native American attack on a school. And I'm like, that's not an active shooter event. It's a school attack, yeah, but when your primary means of, of attack are uh, a stone tomahawk and bows and arrows, I don't really, that, that's more pre-modern than I want to get into, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, just recently we we had the event up in Maine, um, and that was you know just last week. And a lot of people were the, the, a lot of the early reports were like fifteen killed, sixty wounded, or whatever. And oh my God, it's the most heinous, and it's the most devastating, and it's the highest casualty count. And they're they're crediting it with all the records. Thank God it didn't turn out that way. But unfortunately, nineteen twenty seven, Bath, Michigan, at an elementary school. A guy used explosives to attack an elementary school and then used his own vehicle while he was driving it as a delivery for a secondary set of explosives out in the common uh, evacuation area. That still holds the record. And isn't that it's a bad record to have? Still holds the record as uh, the most casualties of 45 dead and 58 injured in that attack. And that was, as far as I know, the first explosives attack in the United States. Did you have a chance to look at that one? I did. Yes, and uh, that uh, 
that was fascinating. Um, just everything surrounding that attack. Um, ostensibly, I guess the 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 man was upset over uh, raised taxes. There were a lot of other things going on in his life. His his, his wife suffering from tuberculosis and uh, chronically and and um, it it but to have to to sort of to put together that many that much explosives and then again deciding to target to target uh school children um to, to target anyone being upset about property tax I, I i'm not advocating blowing up property but you know what boy I, I, I just there's that line that that crosses there's 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 not a lot of justification for taking a life uh, over protesting something you're upset over well and, and this one in particular um and then I'm going to have to take a break to thank our sponsor again. But this one in particular. So this guy who's mad about property taxes and admittedly he has all these other emotional stressors in his life, but he's, he's upset about taxes. So he's going to blow up some kids like that's going to change the tax code. You know, I mean, yeah. last I checked, those children weren't the ones making the laws in his municipality. Right. So uh, let me uh, reach out here for a second. Again, we want to thank FirstNet as our sponsor of this series. In an emergency, you need a reliable way to communicate with the extended public safety community. FirstNet is the first and only nationwide communications platform built with and for first responders. When every second counts, first responders count on FirstNet. So uh, it not it a shame, or is, I don't know if it'd be a shame or a blessing that we didn't have instant communications back in the in the 1890s and the 1920s when those <laughs> attacks occurred in case, and, and, and even in. Um, the next incident I'm going to bring up, and I think you found one that's kind of similar, is 1954 in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And this wasn't an active shooter event. This wasn't a mass shooting event, only because some good people, some legally armed people, managed to, to take out to neutralize the shooter before it could go bad. It was, it was a drunk student who started shooting at a sports event and theoretically could have done a lot of harm. But two other students who were legally armed. Uh, shot him and, and that was the end of the incident and and there's a lot of those and i think you like i said i think you got one that where they don't make the mass news they don't make mainstream media we don't hear the reports of them because they never get to the four death threshold to be reported as an active shooter event they get stopped too quick what's the one you have uh it happened not too long actually just last year in green uh greenwood indiana which is just outside of indianapolis um, at a mall there where um, a 20 year old man had gone into the mall and what he had, he was armed with um, two semi-automatic rifles, uh, a pistol and over a hundred rounds of ammunition. And he went into the mall and began firing. Um, he was stopped by a 22 year old um, civilian who was legally carrying his weapon and was able to fatally shoot uh, the man. And what I found really interesting is in the time after, uh, since that incident is uh, the civilian who who took down the shooter has, has pretty much said, look, I, he wants his privacy, hasn't done interviews. Um, he, he's, he's backed away from everything about that. Um, 
and and I can just imagine it as as far as as a person who wasn't who possibly wasn't trained. I there wasn't a lot on his background, but trained to be doing this to have to to be at the mall and suddenly I realize, oh, I'm in a situation where it's shoot or die, and I've got to make that decision. And you know that it's only been a year. I don't know how soon he'd want to talk about it. You know, I don't know I re- that he would want to, but isn't yeah. it interesting the difference? The active shooter wants notoriety, wants yes. fame, yes. wants casualty count. That yes. good guy, law-abiding citizen that's legally armed, that doesn't want to pull the trigger, but put, is found in, himself in a position where he has no other choice, he doesn't want to talk about it. He doesn't want his name known. He doesn't want to be famous. I know um, the, the school resource officer that uh, was involved in a shooting in Maryland. I'm, I'm not going to bring up the incident. I've got a lot of respect for the officer that did it. He had to hire a manager because there were so many demands for him as a quote unquote hero. Uh, and he'll tell you, I was just doing my job. I, I did what every other officer who was, who might've showed up in that instance should have done, would have done. He was, I, I don't want to be famous for it. I don't want people singing my praises for it. A student died that day. And you know, you know none of us should be celebrating this. Um, the people who the only people who want the notoriety are the people that are committing the crimes and that are not right between their ears. Exactly. Uh, I there is that goal of wanting to. It seems that it, wanting to show the world that hey, you know, look, you were wrong. I was right. This, you know, or this. There's this horrible. There's you know. There's this terrible. Uh, miscarriage of justice or whatever that you you need to recognize um i don't know that that's ever been the case um uh, you know a lot of times you know it's just yeah just to get that anger out i I think we we can document one case sung he cho at virginia tech i mean he wrote an essay about how he would attack a year before it happened uh and um, some of his writings and some of the work that the, the notes that were published and so forth after the fact, some of the information that came out during the investigation, he he was all about punishing people and getting back at those uh, specifically in the engineering corps uh, in that train of study, um, you know, and, and that's what he was about. And he, and he wanted them to know it was him and why he did it in the whole nine yards. Um, but he, well, I was going to say, you, you bring up a, an interesting point talking about as far as lessons learned at, uh, about these um, earlier incidents. And one of the th- and, it, and I don't necessarily think it's a it's a lesson that is only for law enforcement. In fact, I don't even know that it's primarily law enforcement. But what I was seeing in a lot of these cases uh, of those school shootings um, centuries ago, in some cases, uh, was that. Uh, it it was you know it, it was like the guy in bath uh, just absolutely upset but you know the this boiling upset that um in some cases there are clues for it but in other cases there there aren't and as far as how we can deal as a country with mental health crisis in that way um it, you know i and i and i think of the the main shooter in this case too of being able to figure out where the problem is and be able to head it off at the past before, before tragedy starts happening, either for the individual or for other people involved. Indeed. And, you know, 
Um, I do want to talk briefly about um, the legally armed civilian that finds themselves in or near an active shooter scene for a couple of reasons here. One, we just recently uh, this summer put up a training program on our officer virtual academy about how law enforcement can recognize the legally armed, non-uniformed good guys at these scenes. And I think it's going to become more prevalent. Prior to recording, we, we exchanged some emails and Uvalde came up and we had uh, a discussion, you know, um, about the parents that showed up and said, if you're not going to go do what needs to be done, let us go do what needs to be done. Um, as a parent, I get that outlook 100%. Um, as a grandparent, even more so. I know you can relate to both. Mm -hmm. um and then you look down at florida uh you know at and uh at was it marjorie stoneman douglas at mm -hmm. the, the slow response there and that was really a lack of training and trying to keep up i think i'm almost afraid to say this but i think that if we're going to successfully stop active shooters before they can commit a lot of carnage we number one if we can prevent them 100% beforehand, that would be fantastic. And from my perspective, the guy in Maine, um, I, I don't know all the circumstances, but given that he had been committed for two weeks and was known to have these mental and emotional instabilities, I it, I can't fathom why he was still in possession of firearms and they couldn't have been with due process. In fact, I can't imagine why they weren't all seized and taken away from him. Um, and then, uh, you know, when you look at, something like Uvalde where the parents were ready to step up or Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, where it was, it was a slow response due to poor upkeep with training. I feel like the, the legally armed citizens, the one that's going to stop the active shooters in the coming decades before, before law enforcement can get there. I feel like the good guy on scene with a gun is the one who can do it. My fear with that is always that um, it, it gets, it, it it, it'll become amateur hour and it'll become even more dangerous and it becomes dangerous for law enforcement as well. Um, because you won't necessarily get the, like the 22 year old in, in Indiana, Indiana, or, um, you know, the, the students in North Carolina who are, are able to competently, um, stop, uh, um, a shooter, uh, it just I, that's that is that is my worry because um all too often i hear people um talk about how oh i i just wish they had been in my neighborhood cuz i would have taken care of it it was like why do you even wish they were in your neighborhood what that that to me says there's something not right because the people who really have to do this job don't wish that to happen you know they just it and, and so I just worry that um, you'll end up with a, with too many clowns with guns out there instead of the, the properly trained individuals. You know, it's an unfortunate reality. And, and I guess we'll have to wrap this up. It's an unfortunate. I'm, you know me. I'm a very, very pro-gun guy, but I'm a very pro-training guy. Yes. And and yes, I, I have that fear, too. While, while on the one hand, I 100 percent believe in constitutional carry laws. And think if you're old enough, legally able to own the weapon, you should be able to carry the weapon. I am also the guy who says, however, if you fail to get properly trained with it, you should be held liable for everything and anything that you ever do wrong with that weapon. Uh, and unfortunately, there's some very ugly circumstances that can potentially go with that. Um, I, I'd like to see everybody listen to this podcast. It, I'd like to see everybody who does carry a weapon day in and day out 
whether they're law enforcement or not. Um, take whatever you consider your minimum training mandate to be, multiply it by four and make that your starting point every year. So here in Maryland, law enforcement is required to qualify once with, you know, day, night, and judgmental. I'd like to see everybody do it at least quarterly. If you're, if you're a non-law enforcement, you carry a gun, you go to the range twice a year, three times a year, quadruple it, start going every other month, do some drills, practice with your weapon, go find some training, um, get, get intermediate training, get advanced training, get all the training. You can never have too much training. Um, mm -hmm. Otherwise, Joe, exactly what you're talking about. So what's going to come to fruition. And then that, that scares me too. It's like, it's like being a, a pro athlete. Uh, pro athletes don't just go out onto the, uh, to the court or the field playing. It's, it's hours and hours of practice and training. And the same thing goes uh, with using a firearm. 100%. All right. So that concludes our fourth uh, episode of this six part series. Actually, when we come back with our fifth episode, pretty much our entire conversation is going to be about those legally armed, non-uniform people in or near active shooter scenes. Uh, I need to thank you, Mr. Vince, for uh, being my co-host for this episode today. No problem. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. And uh, we need to thank FirstNet for being our sponsor. Everybody listening, please stay safe. Thank you for listening to this episode of Officer Roll Call. Be sure to check back every two weeks for a new episode. Stay safe.